Welcome everyone to another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan. This week, I sit down with the Crook father, Ken Bauman, and a mob of squirrels, James, to discuss the four key patterns of winning a game of CEDH. As you can see from the thumbnail and title, uh, we did fall down a little bit of a rabbit hole talking about how sports relates to this topic, but it was a really fun conversation, and I'm really excited to bring it all to you today. But before we get into that, let's take a moment to talk about today's sponsor, Dragon Shield. Dragon Shield sleeves are the only sleeves that I trust on my cards, and I've been using them for nearly seven years. Their petrol mat sleeves are my personal sleeves of choice. And if you use our Dragon Shield link to get yours, you will be supporting the Mind Sculptors channel. So go ahead, go into the description of the episode, click on our Dragon Shield affiliate link to get your sleeves today. Also, you could be in a Gila card with our new merch we have available in our merch store. Head on over to themindsculptors.com forward slash shop to pick up the new could be a Najila card t-shirt or hat today. With all that said, let's get into today's episode. You know, I was thinking about this earlier when I was when I was uh, reading your thread that we're going to be talking about today. I was actually thinking I was like, is Ken the new Cobblepot? Um, oh, oh, damn. I, I mean, I would be happy. I'd be honored to take those shoes from Cobble. Uh, I mean, and we're both sickos, too. So that's yeah. like, you know, you got to pass it from autoimmune to autoimmune, you know. So I'm I'm happy um, to do that for Cobble. If Yeah, that's, that's great. Big you have shoes the long to fill, threads. You, yeah. you play like wild. Da- you both love Kirk. <laughs> A lot yeah. of similarities there. We're both very, very thin, like painfully thin. So, just, you two like, are some of the lank, like lankiest people I've ever met. And then you know, there's me over here, and I'm just like six foot one and built like a linebacker. Yeah. So it's just big, yeah, there's some big strong folks out there, and I'm not, I'm not one of them. I'm just a little lightning rod. Also joining us is, uh, we haven't got to introduce him as a Sculpty Boy yet, uh, but our newest mind sculptor is, he's been on the channel before from the, uh, what it, what, what's the word that I'm looking for? The data collection project. The metagame project. Yeah, the metagame project. My brain just <laughs> went. <laughs> um, it's our boy, James, otherwise known as Squirrel Mob. How are you doing, James? I'm doing well. Hello, everybody. Uh, I I am quite excited because uh, I, I I know I've talked about this a little bit, but I'm moving to Louisville here in a few months, and I am like I'm not close to where James lives, but I am within like half a day's drive of where James yeah. and a lot of other people live. Nice. Uh, so it's that's only good. like about like four-ish hours. So oh, that's yeah, nothing. Four, um, four is yeah. easy peasy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that that was one of the funny things because people, you know, where people like grew up in the country based on their perception of how long a trip is. Yeah. Because like you talk to some people who grew up in like New England and like you yeah, know New York course. area, and it's like four hour trip that's so long. Yeah. And then uh, you talk to people who grew up in the Midwest, and you're like, 
Yep. That's going to see grandma and grandpa. What are you yeah, talking about? Exactly. <laughs> I was, yeah. In Texas, we would make a three hour round trips of six hours total four times a week when I was working in Dallas. Jeez. So it was like, Oof. no big deal. You just live in a car. This is the, dare, the era in which, you know, you had those big blocky TVs that had a VCR mm-hmm. built in. And so we would put mm-hmm. that like right by the shifter. And my mom and I would just watch oh, movies while we drove. Very responsible, very safe. But man, I we burned through so many blockbusters. Wow, (laughs) it was incredible. That is, um, I I can't say that I haven't done that when there's a football game on that I want to watch with my phone. But exactly, uh, exactly. We're all we're all we're all naughty that way. We just you know this this is great. It's a great way to watch movies. It's actually specifically why I drive manual transmission car now. About myself. Oh, smart! Wow, yeah. You get you got to keep your hand going. That's smart. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's. What a way to flex that you know how to drive a manual car, James. Yeah, that's cool. That's, no big deal. <laughs> guys, it's yeah. no big deal. I know, how to, I know how to do it. <laughs> Dude, if, if you put a manual in front of me, I would just sit there and stare at it. Like, I it's, not, just be like, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's it not really bad. isn't. But the, the, the issue is, is that, to quote John Mulaney, I have to, my brain has to, like, in my head, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But then it has to, like, transmit that information to my awkward legs <laughs> and hands and uh, i don't know that that will always work the way that i want it to do you, do you break with your left foot currently no okay so you drive with one foot anyway so like that's yeah. half the battle there because there are people who like drive with two feet <sighs> without driving a manual oh i used God. to date somebody I don't who was like that, that. And i thought that was psycho but uh yeah it seems that's yeesh. i learned to drive manual on a friend's beater old honda civic for an hour and then my next car which i had spent eight months building with my father uh, my next manual car was a a shelby cobra replica that had 480 horsepower and so that was uh, quite a way to learn how to drive manual in los angeles second time i ever have driven a car that was a manual it was in a car that was like a death trap like a like a 1300 pound just death trap it was that was a trial by fire it worked though i learned yeah. fast i had to also got pulled over a, a lot uh, on a 97 ford contour with a shoddy very 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 short first gear oh, okay. so uh it was a an exercise in a lot of trials and tribulations because first just never wanted to work you just gotta right skip skip over you it, just go straight you know what I mean? just, just well it's real hard to right skip over, over first in a lot of situations <laughs> that's, that's true. the problem yeah, exactly um i i my first car was an automatic 2000 i actually still have it it's sitting in my parking lot and I haven't driven it in two years uh it's a 2005 pontiac montana sv6 Ooh, oh yeah which is yeah. uh yeah. the the sports trim of the montana because in 2004, uh, the good folks over at GM figured, you know what people want in their minivans is sports <laughs> suspension and a V6 engine. Absolutely. Uh, you got to you got to you got to race that that bad boy. Unironically, unironically, I know somebody who bought a Cadillac SUV precisely because it had a V8 and every other SUV had a of V6. Yep. Whoa. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> there, there was no like that weird period of time <laughs> And like the like early to mid thousands where they were just like the most mundane vehicle. We got to give it like the sports treatment. Yeah. And uh, we had that car and it and it 
It was something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was a motor vehicle. One of the motor vehicles it's, of all time. The, the same, the same engine as the Pontiac G6. That's so funny. It's hilarious. Ooh. Same engine, same suspension. It was on like basically the same shell, except it was like a big long minivan. Uh, it's the evolution of the uh, the Dustbuster minivan they used to have, the Transport or whatever, that looks like those little hand vacuums. Oh, yeah. I tore the rear suspension off one of those in a sinkhole. From oh, wow. A damn. Water main break. Yeah. That's cool. Would not, would not recommend. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a fun evening. That was seven in the morning. Even worse. Even, yeah, yeah, God. <laughs> well, you know, you can't, it, at least it wasn't a big, beautiful Buick Enclave. That's so. true. That's true. <laughs> We protect those I, here. I was sitting here and I was like, we're, we're talking about cars. Our, my comment section is going to be on fire if I don't mention Buicks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, why we're actually here today is uh, we're not talking about cars as much as I would love to talk about just old shitty cars all day uh, is we're here to talk about Commander and specifically competitive Commander. And Ken has some very uh, interesting thoughts relating to uh some stuff about like the patterns of what games of CEDH look like. Uh, you did a thread about this on Twitter, what, like a little over a week ago, or yep. excuse me, exactly a week ago. Oh, boy, uh, and so uh, basically, I basically immediately messaged you in our group chat and was like, hey, or no, I didn't message you. I emailed you the proper way. Yeah, um, that's true. And was like, hey, Ken, let's let's expand on this. So uh, take us through a little bit of it. You kind of start off going through like the 20, there's 23,000 cards are legal in Commander, and we only play about 2,000 of them. So uh, that's how you started off. And, uh, you know, what is the whole kind of essence of what you're saying? Yeah, so it's a good question. I, I initially wrote this as like a, a lecture type thing Mm -hmm. for a CDH Discord that I'm in. And then I realized one day, I just got bored with it. I was like, you know what? This has to get... I'm going to make it much more concise and just get straight to the point and try to really articulate to people the core, the essential patterns that they will see over and over and over again when they play CDH. Because as I say in the thread, you know, I think that one of the reasons people really love CDH is not for its novelty necessarily, but it's for finding the beauty in repetition and the beauty in incrementally getting better at something and problem solving and really complex game states. And so um, the thread was my attempt to distill the four essential patterns that you will see in games of CDH and to explain what they are, what they imply about how to play better, and then also um, using those patterns to distill a few principles that we can use to understand CDH as a game more thoroughly and also to kind of be more honest about what it looks like on the ground. Very interesting because when this came out, there was a lot of uh, people who were retweeting it who were like, this is exactly why I love uh, CEDH. And then there were some people who were like, this is exactly why I don't want to play CEDH. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which I thought was very funny. Um, so when we look at it, what are kind of the four essential patterns that you will see in a game of CEDH? Yep. So I've got a handy mnemonic to remember them. It's dub tab or W T A B. Number one is win. 
Number two is win through. Number three is win after. And number four is win because. So W and then T-A-B, through, after, because. And these are the ways that games end. And because CDH is a, a format, or rather a metagame in which we are playing to win, trying to play as efficiently as possible, pursue wins as efficiently as possible with the decks that we have, uh, how the game ends and how it leads to a position in which the winning player is able to you know, pull it off, I think that that's pretty constantly on, on players' minds. Um, and I really think that you know, everybody starts sort of building up to the end of the game the second mulligan stop and the, you know, mm-hmm. the game begins. And so these four patterns are uh, the ways that CDH games end. And I, I wanted to focus on the end of games because I think that those ends really can be used to explain after the fact most like smaller play patterns, most moments, mm-hmm. most considerations. You can kind of contextualize a lot of decisions that you make in a CDH game with the idea of, okay, what kind of game would this action lead to? Right? Mm-hmm. What, what kind of end state would this lend itself to being a part of? And I think that constantly thinking about that is actually a pretty good way to um, th- you know, try to think ahead at least a few turns, which is you know, kind of a mainstay of any difficult, complicated, strategic game. You want to be thinking multiple steps ahead and planning out to the best of your ability. So um, yeah, those are the four patterns that I see. And I can walk through each one if that would be useful to the audience. Yeah. Uh, that's what, so what do these four look like? So number one is easy, right? Win. That just is what happens when somebody goes for it. They go for it first. There's not much opposition, and they get there, right? The turbo decks do this a lot. You know, you just Oracle consult. Everybody yep, got it. Boom. Yep, All right, three mana. <laughs> game over. Cool. Shuffle up and you know go again. These are these are the games in which you know they end pretty early, and I think that uh, you can do a couple different things to cultivate that play pattern, right? You could play turbo decks uh, going first. Being on the play helps, I think, a lot. And then also, if you have really disciplined or very lucky mulligans that can also contribute a lot. A lot of hands just are nuts and they're just there and you've just got it all. You've got everything you need. Uh, the second pattern that I've identified is just win through, right? That's, mm-hmm. and we've seen this a lot. Uh, somebody goes for it. Uh, another opponent attempts to stop them. They're able to back up their win condition you know, with counter magic or whatever. And they get there, right? So that is winning through opposing disruption, opposing interaction. And I think that winning through is generally more common than just winning because CDH decks, right, are so highly interactive, usually have at least 20 pieces of disruptive, you know, uh, effects. And so usually people will have something uh, to expend in the first few turns to stop somebody else from going for it. but some decks do this better than others, right? Decks with access to white that play Grand Abolisher, Ranger Captain, etc., Silence. Those decks are really good at winning through interaction. Um, I think Krakashima is a really good deck at winning through interaction because counter spells are two counter spells usually. Um, and decks with efficient combos, I think, are also very good at this. Efficient A plus B combos that just win because uh, you're able to conserve mana that you would otherwise spend assembling a win by protecting it using a counter spell, using a silence or whatever, bouncing the stacks piece that you need to go off. The, the third pattern is, I think, in my mind, the best. This is, this is what I encourage most people to go for. It's winning after. 
And again, this is pretty common, right? You see player A goes for it. Players C and D stop player A. Player B is just sitting there, you know, like trying not to smile. They untap. They win. And everybody's expelled all their resources, stopping the other player. And you'll often hear comments like at a CDH table, somebody will be like, don't go for it. Like, don't do it. I, I will stop you. And then they're going to untap and win, right? That, that, there's even a kind of a very conscious acknowledgement of this play pattern in a lot of games. And so um, I think that decks that attempt to win after turn three on average can help cultivate this pattern. I think that lucky seeding, right? Being just next in turn order after the deck that's furthest ahead on board or that's, you know, the fastest deck at the table is great. And I also think just politicking, doing that intelligently can help immensely. If you are able to represent that you don't have much going on, or if you are able to encourage another student to go for it by representing that, eh, I'm, you know, go for it. Like, I, I, I got nothing to stop you. That's a great way to position yourself to reap the benefits of the likelihood of two other opponents being able to stop the, the third. You know, you, um, you in uh, Copenhagen last year, just sitting there with your heuristic study, making no facial expressions. Yep. Not looking at your car, just immediately putting it down. Exactly. That's- and that was, that was a classic win after, right? Like uh, Corvold soaked up all the resources and I was ready to go. And there you go. You know, also one of the was- longest turns in history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cool though. You got to love it when somebody steals a mind's desire and goes for it that way. That's a, that's a, that's a fun line. Um, and then the fourth win condition, the fourth play pattern that we see a lot is winning because. This one's probably the most controversial because it's the most frustrating. Uh, This is what happens. Let's imagine that player A, you know, they bounce a stacks piece. They cast a wheel. They fizzle. They pass the turn. And surprise, surprise, uh, you know, one of the players shortly thereafter will win. And I think that this is the pattern that you have as an individual player the most power to create. Because you can cultivate mistakes that your opponents make. You can encourage them and not, you know, not being mean or cruel or a bully, but you can encourage them in subtle ways to make mistakes to increase the likelihood that you will win because of an error, because of a misperception that they made, or because of them feeling frustrated and just wanting to take some game actions. Mm-hmm. And um Really, the, the, the simplest way to do this is just guide attention away from you, right? Mm-hmm. As, you know, as we've talked about before, I think talking is the best spell you can cast in a game of Commander, and particularly in a game of CDH, just talk. And by guiding attention away from you, you will make another player feel more pressure, which will probably, in, again, average circumstances, cause them to uh, play worse than they normally would. And you will... Uh, garner less attention for what you're preparing to do, which again, mm-hmm. will help the other opponents not assess the situation as accurately as they should. And I think because of the way that decks are constructed in CDH and because of the kinds of players who wind up playing CDH, the folks who generally want to be pretty interactive, not everybody enjoys that, but I think quite a few players do. Um, I think that winning after and winning because are the patterns that ultimately players should think about cultivating from the very early stages of you know preparing for an event thinking about okay 
is this deck a good win after or win because deck? Am I, am I as a player prepared to try to just sandbag, buy my time, time things appropriately? Or am I going to feel nervous with this deck? Am I going to want to jam the win as fast as I can? You know, how, how disciplined are my mulligans? Can I mulligan in such a way where I find these hands that are good, but not terrifying? So that mm-hmm. when I'm you know, playing the first few turns, people don't really worry that much. You know, the, all these things are um, skills that somebody, I think, can cultivate to win more often and to think about deck construction and card choices more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because win because feels like it applies uh, a lot of times. And I feel like there are probably people who listened to our episode last week with uh, Scoots and Shauna, where they can uh, hear Scoots decrying the people who play stack stacks and and don't know what they're doing with them. And, or, you know, the person who bounces the stacks piece and then you lose because they couldn't win with that stacks piece gone. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess one of the things that I would ask uh, and this is part of why I brought James on is James has done quite a lot of commentary uh, in your tenure in CEDH. Mm-hmm. And how, in your experience, often do you feel like this always applies? Like, is this just like always something you're seeing? Yeah. So I would say that this is a really great starting. Point. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the reality gets more nuanced. And uh, when I read this thread, my mind kind of went to a thing that I really should write about at some point, but never have. Um, The similarity between CDH and either soccer or hockey. Take your pick. Um, When we think about sports, a lot of magic players don't, right? They don't think about sports. And that's fine. Um, But I do. And I see a lot of commonality between especially these four patterns that Ken has picked out. and things that commonly happen in those two sports, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, So the idea of like winning, uh, just going for it, them not having an answer. This is something we might see uh, in games of CDH where, you know, somebody's got their pieces, their A plus B is in their opening hand, they're jamming it, or they're making somebody have an answer. That's what a lot of soccer teams and hockey teams do. They have players that make direct runs towards the goal and they put a ball in and they go for it or they take a shot on goal. We got a break and they go for it. Um, But that really only works successfully very often in sports if you have superior talent. So -hmm. you have an actual physical edge. Where does that what does that talent look like in in CDH? Well, that's your card quality, right? So like. Thassa's Oracle console, that's our superstar player. That's our. Yeah. Um, Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, uh, Ovechkin's not a great example because okay, he like, well. does one thing really, really, really well. Well, okay, like, listen, I I, our- <laughs> I did like three or four hockey player names. I can't right, pronounce the rest. I'm proud I could pronounce that. It's, yeah, that's pretty good. You got it. You know, it's more like, than me. like a Tchuk, Matthew Tchuk, or Austin Matthews, or uh, Connor McDavid in hockey, or in soccer, it's your, your Paul Pogba, your uh Kylian Mbappe, your Messi, your mm-hmm. uh lesser extent Cristiano Ronaldo, but like at one point in his career Cristiano Ronaldo, right? So you've got that that power, 
But like Ken said, those wins are harder to do because you have mm-hmm. to have that raw power. Other decks can get that raw power, but oftentimes it takes assembling multiple pieces. Um, and the piece I see missing from this the most is stacks decks don't necessarily win these ways as often as other decks do. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece where I was like, all right, what do stacks decks do? Do they win directly? And sometimes. Do they win through other people's interaction? I, I mean, to a certain extent, yes, but largely because they eliminate that interaction yeah. through their <laughs> course of play, right? Yeah. Um, do they win after other people go off? Oftentimes, no. Um, so like winning through, to continue the sports analogy, would be sort of like uh, just a sustained pressure throughout a game, yeah. right? So in hockey and soccer, the reason I think about those two specifically is because they have such a flow that other sports don't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Basketball does, but I don't like basketball as much, so I'm going to ignore it. <laughs> um, Personal preference, but this, yeah. Yeah, but this would be like sustained pressure in the attacking third of the ice or the You know, you've got the, the puck and your opponents behind their blue line for, you know, three or four minutes straight, you, it gets goals because yep, right. they're not ready to defend it. Winning through in CDH is that sustained pressure. You've got the pieces to answer what's going on. You've got the pieces to maneuver around them because it's not always about answering them. It's yeah. about playing around what you know is there. Mm-hmm. Winning through with the sports thing is like a counterattack. They've made an attack. You then counterattack. You stop it and you have the pressure to go quickly the other direction because winning through happens quickly. That's what I've noticed a lot in CEDH games and commentary. If somebody goes for a win attempt and gets stopped, somebody else will almost always immediately also go for a win attempt. Yeah. And sometimes they get stopped. But if you don't immediately go for a win attempt, oftentimes you're getting another two, three, four turn cycles because you don't have that ability to immediately counterattack. Mm-hmm. And then the win, because I see this kind of like um, in hockey, power play, in soccer, set pieces. Your opponent messed up. You get an advantage because of it. Yep. Now, obviously, in CDH, it's more complicated because you've got four players. So there's three other people who can occasionally mess up. And let us also state that just because an opponent does a thing that is not beneficial to you that may lose you the game does not necessarily mean it was a misplay for them. This mm-hmm. is, I think, a common thing that CDH players do, just as an aside, that we probably need to stop. But Stacks decks don't do that either. What do Stacks <laughs> decks do? Stacks decks break you down over a long period of time. Stacks I mean, decks are like the, the New England Patriots of, of CEDH. They're like, they're just going to play <laughs> hard Big Ten football. They're just going to run the football right up between, between the guards. Yes. They're going to make you eventually do something. And if you can do something, you can beat a Stacks deck, right? Stacks yeah. decks in the metagame project are the lowest performance win percent deck of any major deck type now it's a little bit lower than i'd expect to see but there are lots of reasons why that's the case they're hard to play they're very easy to screw up and cause other people to win because somebody Mm -hmm. did something else uh and they play now again i'm going to continue the sports analogy with soccer and, and hockey here they play like a team that does a lot of passing to get the perfect shot yeah, mm-hmm. they break you down with a lot of little pieces here and there before taking that shot. And sometimes those get, teams win the game or get a tie in soccer because that happens a lot uh, because they don't get to the point where they can actually get that perfect shot. But they break it down enough that like there's a mistake that somebody makes and they can pounce on that one mistake. Mm-hmm. Stack stacks work the same way. I mean, especially win conless stacks. They win through combat. Yep. That's not winning directly. That's not winning <laughs> right. through. That's not winning because. That's not winning after. That's 
I'm just taking it to your face mm-hmm. multiple turns in a row. Mm-hmm. And so I really like this framework and this conception. I think it's got a couple pieces where we want to think about, all right, how do other things fit into this? And I almost yeah. envision it like, uh, you know, one of those quadrant charts yeah, where we can like draw a line. So like winning through and winning because kind of seem on a- opposite ends. And then the other axis would be winning directly and winning after. Or, yeah. So that you kind of have different decks that fall in different ranges, mm-hmm. which then goes back to, all right, how are we building de- decks? How are we politicking? Because when, again, continuing the sports analogy, <laughs> when you construct a team as a general manager, you want players who work well together and mesh together and can do certain things. So like Ken said, if you're playing a deck that wins after well, you want cards, your players, that mm-hmm. can help you win after but if you have a deck that's constructed to only do one thing then you get broken down very easily yeah like if you're just going to jam 20 a plus b combos you're going to lose more often than you win because people are going to know that's what you're doing and they're going to be prepared to stop you this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in williamsburg virginia there's never too much of a good thing whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. Wow. This is this is the first time that I've considered uh, Stacks decks to be like the San Antonio Spurs about a decade ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's uh, and and you know this is this wow. is what makes sense to me because you know po- you got to have the Popovich mentality to play win conless stacks. You have to have a peace of mind, an equanimity, do, yeah. a calmness uh-huh. because otherwise it can just seem so frustrating to take losses. But hey, all the fundamentals are there. I'm just I'm doing it all right. I'm I'm timing everything expertly, but you know it's still not often. It's still not enough. God, this this analogy with like sports. I'm just thinking like uh, Russell Russell Westbrook is like probably an outdated win con. If that's the <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Oh man, we're Russell Westbrook just out here taking shots, just randomly like getting getting drive bys by the the, the Sculpty Boys podcast. Listen, listen, I've called myself the Colin Cowherd of CEDH, and so I would be doing him injustice if I didn't take a shot at Russell Westbrook. (laughs) That's fair. I need to get a shot in at Aaron Rodgers at some point. With Uh, all respect to every 
professional, semi-professional, high school, college athlete ever, you are all able to do things that I cannot do physically. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm with po- the I'm, best humor. I'm a potato, so I can't I can't talk <laughs> shit. Yeah. I'm a I'm I'm just a little potato, fingerling potato at that. So don't don't worry about me. I don't do much anymore, but that's also because I kind of fucked myself up playing football. That's uh, how, but, how it works, it seems. Yeah. Football will do that to you. Yes. I, I was I played on the line, so that should explain mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Uh, and I was undersized on the line, so I I had no business playing a, a line player. Um but yep. uh no, I think that's a really interesting way of conceptualizing that. Um and that that like it really resonates with me because when you talk about it in that framework, I really think about it. And of course I, my mind always goes to football because football's, you know, like the thing that I know really, really well, that's not magic. Um, and it's interesting because I think of how you can, whichever way you kind of want to attack it. And it is kind of like what you said, there's like the Greg Popovich approach with the Spurs. I know I kind of keep mixing sports, um, but you have that or pop is very similar you know uh you know bill belichick's approach to we're just going to play very classic football we're just mm-hmm. going to make you you know we're going to grind you out you have to have it and if you are better than our system then yeah. good for you yeah, um, i mean the term chess match gets used when we talk about coaches facing off each other with it against mm-hmm. the system right cdh is not chess they are different but you right. still have that sort of idea of a chess match, right? I am playing a mental game at the same time that mm-hmm. I am playing with these physical pieces. Now, obviously, there's uh, no variance in chess and significant. Well, I guess there's who goes first, which, eh, look at that, like CDH. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but other than that, there's not a whole lot of variance in chess. So mm-hmm. obviously, it's very different there. But you do still have that mental piece of how am I making my system align with your system? How yeah. am I approaching what you're doing how am mm-hmm. i making adjustments to it and how am i attempting to counter it with what i am yeah and i, I think that this is the you know thinking about planning out a game or tailoring a game to one's own understanding of one's preferences right what kind of deck do i like to play what kind of play patterns do i like to pursue when am i am i a player who really thrives when i'm going for it first am mm-hmm. i a player who really likes to take it slow bide my time get protection play safe understanding that is i think very important because while there are some great players right like like mm-hmm. ian who can win with a ham sandwich and a and a you could win him a roll of duct tape and he'd figure it out. Yeah, um, exactly. You could win with one of those rubber chickens and a and a and a bent fork. Um, I, I, if we're going to continue with the sports analogy earlier this week, I tweeted. I think Ian is the LeBron James of uh, CEDH. Yeah, um, just, I'm not biased, but just a ju- <laughs> just a juggernaut, right? Like there there are some players like that who can play any kind of deck stacks, win conless stacks, combo f- turbo mid range, whatever, and be fine. Um. But I think my suspicion is that a lot of players, maybe I'd say like in an average case, you know, you know what you like and you know what you're good at more so than other archetypes. Mm-hmm. And so I think understanding one's own system is a great way to, again, tailor the game to your strengths so that when you begin the game, before you've even seen your first opener, before you've seen your first hand, you already feel like, I am already playing the game on my terms. I'm not playing mm-hmm. the game on the opponent's terms, right? Yeah. And and of course, variance is hellacious here. And so 
you're not always going to get to play the game you want. But knowing what that system looks like and mm-hmm. knowing how to cultivate that same pattern as often as possible and find the beauty in that repetition, I think goes a long way to helping people really settle into CDH as a way of playing magic and as a way of mm-hmm. playing a really complicated, statistically difficult, competitive multiplayer game. Yeah. So yeah. when you look at those different ways of like, okay, I like to play this way, um, you know, we we kind of can talk about it. I think, you know, you said this in your um, thread, but you can, you know, play a rogue deck. You can play something mm-hmm. that people aren't familiar with. You can do what you do with Kork and Sakashimna, which is mental stacks, which yeah. is, I just, this deck is so complicated. You're not going to be able to know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> it's, and, 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 and hilariously enough, like that is like a real way, uh, like Kork and Sakashima players who uh, do really well with it win because generally they're very good at it and B, nobody knows what's happening. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of times with Kark and Sakashima and like, I, I, I I don't mean this as a knock on you, but I think this is a very good example of this is it really is a deck that does a really good job of if my opponents are savvy, they can stop me. Yes. If my opponents aren't, then I'm going to run away with this game. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I I think that is one of those like I don't know if I would classify it as win because, uh, but you know it, it it feels like those sorts of things where uh, it's almost like uh, if I were to continue with the sports analogy that we started uh, the Sean McVay of like CEDH decks where Sean McVay has a lot of it's it's very simple what it's actually doing and if you know how to defend against it you can stop it. Yeah. Um, but it's really flashy. It throws a lot of stuff in your face. There's yep. a lot of, you know, movement. There's a lot of coin flipping. And mm-hmm. it it gets people kind of out of sorts. And yes. I think that's very interesting, like how you can just just by what you're playing uh influence those things. And that's something we've talked about before, where like you know, there's that politic uh aspect of like everything you do in a game of CEDH is well, in a game of EDH is politics. What's mm-hmm. what commander you sit down at the table with? What you know, you're saying a lot with what you sit down with. Yeah. 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 And there's a piece that Ken included here that I think this flows into really nicely, um, which is this line from classic magic article, Who's the Beatdown, which is from Mike Flores, and it's misassignment of role equals game rules. And I think picking a deck that you know and both that other people don't know. Not to say that these things have to be true at the same time, but a deck you really know well. I mean, if we talk about Ian, Ian has done well with a lot of different decks, but almost all of those decks are something he has worked on to develop over time, right? The Tivit list he used, I believe he got the inspiration from somewhere, but it's mostly, you know, he worked with it for a while. Winota, he was largely an originator of that deck. Um, Evolution, he worked well with the people who started building that deck and he's done very well with it over time and so knowing your deck better helps you figure out your role better if your opponent james we can't call it evolution we have to frustrate ian as much as humanly possible we have to call it advantage thrash the advantage (laughs) thrasios we have to annoy ian as much as possible all right 
Sand Black Midrange. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, exactly. So I love these you. decks. Yeah, a lot of these decks, you know, they they have become known quantities, but that was not always the case. Right. And when a deck is not a known quantity, it is harder for an opponent to appropriately assess what that deck's role is. Yep. And of course, a deck's role at the table changes so often. It changes with theoretically every card drawn is an mm-hmm. opportunity for a deck's role to change. Every action taken may change what each role is. And when you have four players in the CDH game, that becomes exponentially difficult to track over time. So even the best players we see, and we see this in CDH tournaments all the time and regular tournaments too, like the mental fatigue is a piece where a lot of people don't take it seriously. Like it gets taken for granted. Um, At the end of uh, Okotoberfest, Brian Koval was spent. He was a shell of a human. Spent. Yeah. And he played so well in that final game. And part of the reason it's so impressive is a, how tired that entire final table with was, and they all played very well, but he identified what his role was mm-hmm. on that blue farm deck from the get go. He yep. made a couple decisions in that game that we commentated because uh, Callahan had joined yep. me in the booth for that finals. We commentated on like, we're not quite sure why he made that decision, but in retrospect, it makes perfect sense with how he just very clearly found his lane and plowed through it and said, this is what I have to do to win this event. And I think that's a great example because like, I think like a very, a moment that I think about in that game a lot is the er, like very early. It was like turn two, maybe, maybe turn three. He enlightened tutored for Ristic study. And when we saw enlightened tutor, I'm like, Oh, he just has, he has underworld breach. Okay. And uh, no, he was grabbing an Ristic study. And that's when, it, when he revealed that, I, I very re- distinctly remember being like, oh, we're here for a while. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> well, another play he made was the the dress down simply to unlock his commanders. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the dress down went away and everybody else's commanders are again relocked because uh, yeah. somebody else had a Dranith Magistrate on the board, which that's another play that if you are locked into, I'm going to be the mid range deck, I'm going to outvalue everyone else. Yep. And you've got Crown and Timna in the command zone that have been locked away since turn two, mm-hmm. then that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the high stakes game where we think, Oh, blue farm's going to go for an ad nos or a breach or whatever else we see the dress down to get rid of the, uh, the Dranith magistrate. And we're wondering, all right, is this, you know, is he going to try and punch it through here? But by that point, it was very clear. He had established himself. No, he's the guy with the value engine. That's mm-hmm. what's going on. Yep, exactly. And I think, right, thinking about one's deck choice and one's assignment at the table, thinking clearly about that, um, I think, is a great way to understand uh, what, when you're going for, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is, that was, right, if you Mm -hmm. are tutoring the Ristic study, you're not going for that win. You're not going for an early win. You know, you are playing a long game, which means mm-hmm. that you understand that the longer the game goes, right, the better the player, the longer a game goes, the more likely they are to win mm-hmm. because they can capitalize on opponents' mistakes and they'll make fewer of them. It's right, it's just a numbers game. Like, yeah. and so I think that that is a perfect understanding of what mid range does, right? Yeah. Mid range is just, all right, we can play forever. I'm always going to be relevant. I'm always going to be accruing resources. I'm and never going to feel The longer you compl- let me hang around, the more yeah. likely it is that I win. It's just like, inevitable. Yep, that, that sense of inevitability builds up. And so I think that 
yeah, while it might be confusing from the CDH perspective of just like, oh, jam it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. go for it. You got that tutor, push it. Nope, nope, nope. He, mm-hmm. uh, Brian knew. And yeah. again, I think that that's a really, that's a great way to use that quadrant, James, you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. right? Think like, okay, what does this deck excel at? Well, you know, Tim Necrom, mid range, uh, that is a great win through and win after and win because deck. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. great at all those. And it can, you know, it's, it's strong at win, but it doesn't need to do that at all, at all. And so if you've got a deck that's strong in three quadrants and has access to great cards and a ton of them, mm-hmm. again, if piloted well for a long game, the inevitability is there. Yeah. But that's not every deck, right? If you sit down with Magda or whatever, yeah. you're Why? not going to play it the same way. There's another perfect example from another event. Um, yep. That Slicer deck that did it top four Silicon Dynasty? Uh, top, top, top 16. Top, top yeah. 16. Yeah. So that deck, uh, top 16 with this bizarre Transformers commander that lets you just attack a whole bunch. And it lets, it lets everybody, everybody gets going. Um, and that's a deck that I saw multiple people who had been playing in the event who played against that deck because it sounds like a couple people took it and one of them top 16. Yep. Um, and I don't know who piloted it. That's my bad at this. But um, playing the, a list like that, that requires people to immediately, from the get-go, as soon as that commander hits the board, you have to start assessing, all right, what is my role here? Because yep. that slicer needs to be attacking basically the player who is the most likely to be the win. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that enhances every other player's opportunities to win through or yep. win after. Because as soon as you eliminate one player, I mean, player removal is significant in CDH. Yeah. And because that's an entirely unknown deck, I saw lots of people posting about like, well, we put 18 damage on this person. All right, 21 commander damage kills somebody. 18 damage doesn't get there. So that's a choice where somebody said, all right, this is what's happening. I need to either break that mold because of X or Y or Z or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Or it could be an honest mistake, too. Sometimes you get somebody 21 damage or 18 damage. You really just ought to get them to 21. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's a really interesting deck, uh, specifically in, I think, these tournament EDH decks, because uh, playing it in a casual pod, I think it would probably work out differently than when there's more on the line at, at, at an event. Um, yeah, I think there's a number of decks like that in CDH that are kind of on the fringe and have more tournament viability than, say, uh, playing at my LGS viability. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and something there too that I think is important is Slicer did a, a pretty good job of revealing the importance of talking yet again, mm-hmm. right? This is a deck that if the, its three opponents talk and communicate clearly, and agree more or less mm-hmm. on what they're going to do, the deck gets a lot worse. And so again, that deck kind of assessed from quadrants about when and how it's supposed to win. That's going to get real hard to win through if opponents are communicative because they yeah. can just be like, "Yeah, you know what's a lot harder to deal in sixty-one uh, or, or twenty-one commander damage? How about sixty-three? Let's just spread it around, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're all we we're all sticking in this. There's no turbo deck. Let's just spread it around and stay in the game as long as we can. And suddenly that deck gets a lot weaker. In the same yeah. way, right? If if folks had understand understood what Magda was up to mm-hmm. uh, back in Seattle not too long ago. Probably yeah. wouldn't have gone 7-0. But again, you just yeah. look at it and you go, I don't know. Okay, tutoring? Sure. Yeah. Well, okay. I remember talking to uh, Alana uh, 
after a game that she had played up at um, Arcade. So shout out to the Michigan home. Uh, <laughs> and she was talking about how, you know, there had been an opposition agent on board. Somebody removed it to cast their own tutor, and Magda just won over them. <laughs> that's what it does. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's a classic example of misassignment of role. And yep. somebody thought, oh, I'm going to win here, yep. not realizing that Magda was actually just going to not just win through, but win over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, yeah. Like, there's been I'm so many times. Yep. There, there, there's uh, somebody in our local meta who plays that deck. And every time I sit down at a table with him, I immediately look at the table and I was like, okay, so we just remove the Magda. We don't let it, we don't let it go. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, but we need to get rid of this thing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The Magda is going to win the moment you give it a window. Like the moment you give it an opportunity to win, it's going to. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's not like a, uh, what is it? Like Turbo Nas, where Turbo Nas gives you like a window where you can get them and you can really just fuck them up. Mm-hmm. Magda doesn't have that window <laughs> or, you know yeah, what I mean? The, it's like the timing. It can fit anywhere. You have to anywhere. keep your foot on the gas the entire time when you're playing with Magda and you cannot let up because the yeah. moment you let off is they just do their thing. And that's that's yep. what I've noticed with that deck. But it, it, it's interesting how decks like that, uh, like Slicer, I know Phoenix has described Slicer as uh, political stacks uh, because mm-hmm. it is making your opponents talk to each other and figure out the correct way of playing things. And if they can solve your Rubik's Cube of politics, <laughs> they will probably beat you. Uh, but it, some, that can be easier said than done and that i mean that's yep. why people like matt sparling are picking up yeah. slicer because it's a deck that they are going to have a huge advantage playing in a in a certain sense cdh no matter what four decks are at the table is always sort of a four-way prisoner's dilemma mm-hmm. and slicer makes it even more obviously so <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like if i if i do this if i stab you in the back what do i gain from it but what do i lose yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. everybody's got to make very rapidly <laughs> yeah 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 and you know and the, the i think one of the reasons why i've i wanted to articulate this thread was to simplify our thinking about cdh a little bit because it is incredibly complex right like mm-hmm. magic's turn complete like this is this is a game that uh, computing computing power can't play optimally at least not yet and that is rare among games and then you add the statistical variance of a four-player free-for-all, and things get really, really wacky. But at the same time, right, card pool is narrow. One can kind of memorize most of the card pool pretty quickly by playing. And the 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 ways the game games end, not that complicated, right? You either win with damage, commander damage, mill, or card that says I win the game on it. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's how you're gonna get there. And so I really wanted to make sure that players don't get kind of lost in the sauce. You know what I mean? That that we don't just get so kind of mega-brained about like, oh my God, I have to account for X and Y and Z and A and B and C. And I find that the more you play, the more you kind of feel those essential rhythms mm-hmm. and just intuitively get a sense of like, all right, this is this kind of game or this is that kind of game or mm-hmm. you know, we're going to be here for a while or nope, I feel like this is going to end real quick. So I got to mm-hmm. you know, hold up interaction or go for it now or... 
And getting a sense of tempo, I think, helps when you are trying to identify what kind of chess mas- matches are possible. You know what I mean? Like you look at the board, you look at the chess board and you're like, well, you know, these pieces are gone and these pieces are here. I know what's possible here. I've, I've, I've seen it. I've felt it. I've played it. And um, yeah, I just, I want to, I want to, sh- I want to make sure that players feel that while the game is still very complicated and CDH games get so weird, by the way. Oh my God. I think it's, it's so funny. It's so funny that like, you know, folks are like, Oh, CDH is, you know, it can be homogenous and it's the same win conditions. I'm like, all you got to do is go to a tournament and, and last pass the cut. And you'll see games get extremely strange. You know, somebody is, somebody is gilded draking like a, a vanilla four, four or something because they need to block the crom because they're about to die to crom damage, but also the meme betrayal could just unlock a piece of removal for the other thing. And it's like, it's not just like, right. here's Thoracle and the counterspell and I win. Mm. It, 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 it is much more dynamic, but again, the core patterns, not that complicated, yeah. you right. know, and, and that, getting that sense of rhythm comes back in my mind to the fact that CDH is a, a game of repetition. The beauty is in the repetition. So thinking about it is like, Hey, this is like a dance routine. You know what I mean? We're either salsa'n or we're tangoing or we're waltzing, but it's the the steps are defined there. You just have to ha- listen. You know, right. pay attention to the music and pay attention to your dance partners. Right? See see how they're moving because well, it's like playing jazz. It, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's I mean, no, I mean, it, it, it's like playing jazz with a jam band where on the fly. You're coming up and figuring out all of these things. You have a baseline rhythm of what you're going with. And then everybody's just kind of fucking around and they take their turn and they fuck around. And then somebody plays off of that thing. And I mean, that's maybe, maybe somebody is playing trumpet so hard that they fall off the stage and tumble to their death. And then the band (laughs) keeps playing, you know, that happens too, but it's just, you know, it's just like, I, I, I just, I think that, Rhythm is one of the hardest things to communicate clearly. And I think that that's why that Flores article is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Because tempo and rhythm is not something that is that quantitatively measurable in a multiplayer game of Magic. Mm-hmm. You get a sense of, okay, we know our kind of average turn the game in. So you get a sense of tempo in that respect. You can kind of understand how often after you play a deck with a ton of reps... How many hands am I going to see? How many turns am I going to see on average? You know, and I'll plan around that. But the subtler shifts and, okay, wait a minute. This person went from going, you know, they were way behind and then they resolved their dockside and now everybody needs to 3v1 them immediately. And being very receptive to that change of tempo and not just being like, hey, my game plan is do X, right? I'm just going to force it. And if it blows up in my face, it blows up in my face. But being more receptive to changing one's sense of where the game is at and where it could go is so hard to articulate right with strategic advice it's, it's it is it is it's it's elusive because again it's not like we can't boil down super strict principles to be like oh just follow these rules of thumb and you won't you know step on your partner's toes in the dance or whatever right i mean but, i think that's fundamentally yeah. the level up moment right in cdh like understanding all right this is where the tempo shifts um and it's mm-hmm. what like look, talking about like one v one magic, it's where players who are very very good at playing control, like they know, all right, this is where yep. the f- switch flips and where I am now actually going to win the game because I need to do these aggressive steps. 
versus, you know, in CDH, it's the same deal. Like you have to know, all right, when do I have this opening? Where do I go for it? Who's giving me the space? Uh, and it's, I mean, it is like a dance or like, um, like an awkward Zoom call at work, you know, where, <laughs> where everybody's trying to figure out, all right, when do I say my thing? Is there? What do I need to do? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, talking about, talking about what's essential to CDH is also just from kind of a PR perspective, right? Kind of mm-hmm. nice because mm-hmm. you're, you're welcoming in players by saying, look, yeah, there are a lot of cards and lots of things that you might not know intimately immediately, but you play a lot. Games kind of wind up shaking out one of four, maybe five or six ways if we're thinking about win conless stacks, right? Got to figure out a, a fun <laughs> thing to fit in the acronym. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, and so, as someone playing win conless stacks right now and working on a deck, I'll just say that rarely win. We'll just say rarely win, <laughs> is it? You know what I mean? Um, but, uh, but, it's kind of nice from a PR perspective because, again, you you can make people feel like, all right, this is a game I'm I've already kind of played. You know, I know I know what commander games, I know how they can go, and I know how multiplayer games can go. I know I know I've watched some hockey, I've watched some soccer. Like mm-hmm. this isn't the concepts are not alien, even though there are lots of cards with rules text on them that you got to get used to seeing. But it's still you know we're still playing a game, and we're still playing a game that has very simpler temp similar tempos and rhythms to other games. And, and it also, uh, I think, demystifies CDH as being some kind of like spectacular you know, format in which every game is just like shocking or things go so fast, you, know, you can't keep up or whatever, and be like, no, right. it is beauty and repetition, right? It is getting better incrementally by improving on subtle, very subtle skills. And you get to play, you know, some of the fastest guns or or some of the fastest guns that are good at slowing down fast guns. I'm a, that, that's <laughs> a weird the, analogy, the, but, you know, a gun that shoots another gun and makes it slower. Artillery. Yeah, 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 exa- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, you know, you're still, again, you're still inhabiting the same rhythms. Right. And so... You know, don't don't be afraid to try it out, and don't be afraid to explore those questions of like, well, what am I actually trying to do here? What does this deck want to do? Is it mm-hmm. just is it a turn two deck or is it a turn ten deck? Mm-hmm. And what do I like to do? You know, yeah. and I think a big lesson that we can take away from this as well, beyond just winning or anything like that, um, is how we build decks with things that maybe were more popular in the past that have fallen out of. Like, I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of win cons that are no longer, you know, premier, but certainly still viable, right? So I think, like, Food Chain Corbel. You know, the Derek Roses of the, of the CEDH sure. world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all right, I'm going to say this here. I think this is where Alex, Alex Ovechkin fits in hockey. Like, the dude does <laughs> one thing really, really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, there's a place for that because he's still doing that one thing really well. Chain Veil to Ferry. Yeah, exactly. Does he defend well? No, not for shit. Does he, you know, move around the ice well? Absolutely not. The dude's older <laughs> than I am. <laughs> like, he's ancient in hockey terms. However, uh, you put him at the left point on a power play, dude will score. Uh, so, this, to go back to Magic, thinking about uh, what formerly, like, premier win cons are still viable that can be used to enhance or break down or attack these different decks that we are seeing in your own local metagame. 
I mean, mm-hmm. no deck is going to be able to answer anything on a global scale. We don't even know what a global scale looks like, really. Yeah. We have right. lots of individualized, localized metagames. So what you see in CEDH might be different than what somebody else sees, and it will still be CEDH, which is weird to say because there's also things that people think are CEDH that are not. <laughs> but that's an entirely other discussion. Right. Thinking about your win cons and how you put that deck together and kind of goes back to knowing what you're doing, knowing your role, and knowing if your deck has a certain role, what win con that or card or tech or whatever that maybe is passe on decks on the database or, or in tournaments might actually still be incredibly beneficial to you in that deck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that one thing we can say about silly little Karkashima now is now that it's gotten a decent track record is, um, and now that we've gotten a good amount of data about what the deck does and what its play patterns are is, um, you know, we have learned through experience that it's a great win after deck. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and, and now, only now though, are we making that clear to folks in the, in my primer and in videos and conversations in our discord server of being like, yeah, sure. You'll get the turn two, turn three wins sometimes, but they're rare. You're, mm-hmm. you're going for turn five. You know what I mean? Stick around for five turns and you'll get that inevitability. And that's probably where you'll be okay. And well poised to win and you know with some backup or something and um but again that was only after playing right you know and 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 that's why i think paying attention to the old pros who still play the decks like cvt chainville to ferry or who play who are still playing you know i don't know i i don't think first sliver food chains that out of fashion but food chain i feel like Mm -hmm. i see it less and less but paying attention to those folks getting a sense of what they already understand about their own deck is crucial because mm-hmm. you know you don't as a brewer as a player you don't need to reinvent the wheel yeah. just figure out the pattern and try it out and you might have a blast you might be like you know what i want to i want to buy my time and win after every single game i want to just you yeah. know that like that's what i enjoy most or hey i want to win through i want to fight like tooth and nail you know and just well, that, go for it that was one of the things i realized uh as because I I spent a little bit of time playing like some Turbo Nas decks last year and just kind of getting like a feel for in you know trying to like expand my palette so it were and uh, I just like I was just like I, my brain doesn't operate this way yeah. um it, it just is not how I want to be playing Magic either. Um, yeah. and so I went back to playing Tarasius and Timna and I went back to playing Arden and Silas and uh, well, Arden and Krom and then eventually Arden and Silas. And, uh, it, it just, it felt more natural. Uh, my yeah. win rate was just, like, arguably better, uh, than it was on those turbo Nas lists. Um, but I mean, like, even when I would play Najila, like my, I was playing like a, complete creature combo Najila deck that was all built around birthing pod and things that you can't interact with and working on a completely different angle than most people were working. Like I was playing Kiki Jiki in my yeah. Najila deck. Uh, most people don't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it, that's one of the things where I kind of look at that and I, I really agree with what you're saying is, you know, find what vibes with you uh, and, really you know it's you know i swear to god we'll eventually end the sports analogy but it's like you know what works in your system 
you know, you're yeah. kind of the coach of your magic deck and what works for you uh, and what you're looking to do in a game uh, very much matters. And there's lots of different ways that you can win in uh, Commander. And uh, it's it's very interesting to see the way people approach things. I hate that Slicer exists. Um <laughs> Just need to say that I love um, slide. I love I love all decks that it, are like the flavor of the week and that are just work on a silly new axis. But it is it's funny just, it's, to get it's the, new is it it, the card or the fact that it's a transformer. Which part it's of it the card. It, it, it's the <laughs> fact that it's a mono. It's the mono red thing that happens at, like the same time. It feels like every year is there's some new mono red thing or Goto spikes again, or it's, it's all so every mono red is, deck is the same deck. Dude, in this is, his, this is history like, of magic though. Though. Yeah. One of the decks that consistently performs well at the start of every new standard season. Yeah. Red deck wins. Red and deck why? wins, baby. Yeah. Because yep. you, when you don't know what a format's going to look like, it's impossible to play control. It's hard to play mid range, but you know what you can do? Point burn spell at face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damage and big creature. Every mono red deck in CEDH is just Goto in disguise. That's it's. There might there might be man. You know you know that funny joke about you know like every magic mechanic is kicker. I could see a world in which somebody made an argument and a good one that every CDH deck is Goto. <laughs> I could see it. I could see it, right? Because Goto is, okay, you need access to you, one I thing. don't know that I'll get you that, give you that much. Um, <laughs> but I, I will grant you, I, I will at least agree with you that I think at minimum, every mono red deck is just a different, it, it's just Goto in a trench coat. Honestly, um, it feels like the, uh, the Pagliacci joke. But doctor, I am go to yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yep, yep. Yeah. I mean, and too, I want to make sure to encourage our listeners too. Like, don't you know? While it is good and fine, and I think really fun to figure out your lane, find the kind mm-hmm. of win condition you want to recreate most often. Find the tempo that you like the most. Find the deck that plays to your strengths the best in terms of how it operates relative to other decks and their tempos. Do that, but also. You feel free to Jordan it for a while. Retire, go play baseball. You know what I mean? Like go <laughs> change it up. Change it up. Do do something different. Go save the see. Looney Tunes. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the most important thing of all for is sure. That, is that when you go and play traditional casual EDH? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, for real. Like, it must you know, be but- Bill Murray then cuz I've been playing casual <laughs> a lot recently. <laughs> <laughs> but that that will help you. It will really help you stretch your muscles, A, right? It'll make you just a more well-rounded player. It'll also acquaint you with those patterns that you're going to face across the table often so that you'll understand from the get-go when they sit down, all right, they, they want this to be a turn nine game. No way, I ain't going to let them. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going faster than that. Yeah. And, and uh, you might discover that you kind of like it. My only, my only warning is, if you are so foolish like me as to uh, enjoy <laughs> brew and adopt a win conless, i.e., combat damage oriented stacks list without any infinite combos, may God save your soul. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's hard. It's going to be hard and you're going to lose a lot of games, but um, it, it is fun. Well, that about wraps things up for us here this week. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. 
If you liked this episode or any of the other content here on the Mind Sculptors, please make sure to rate the show on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. Or if you're on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and tell us down in the comments what your favorite part of today's show was. I also would like to take a moment to thank our top tier patrons, Adam Hamden, David Snavely, Jason Bialik, Matt Boehner, Michael Levine, and Senior Coupon. If you too would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors or check out the link in the description. Thank you again for joining us and from all of us here at the mind sculptors. I'm Callahan and we'll see you next time. Thank you.